I speak to you in the name of the love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The history of Jesus Christ is a history of conflict. It starts very early in John's Gospel. In the first few lines, you hear not only that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, but also, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The history of Jesus Christ in John's Gospel is a history of a battle, a struggle between darkness and light. And our reading from John this morning, from the second chapter, about the cleansing of the temple, is the opening salvo in this struggle. At once, Jesus and those that John calls the Jews are at each other's throats. It gets worse. Jesus is challenged at every turn by the religious leaders of his time. They try to trick him into saying something that will get him into trouble with the Roman occupiers of the Jewish nation or with that nation itself. They pour scorn on everything he says. They complain because he heals on the Sabbath. They attack him because he calls himself the Son of God. They say he is possessed by a demon. Jesus emerges untouched from every attack. And this infuriates the enemies even more. And then Jesus himself goes on the offensive. And he calls them children of the devil. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. In the end, Jesus' enemies have been tortured and murdered by being nailed to the cross. The story of Jesus Christ as a history of conflict between light and darkness is a major in the New Testament, Jesus himself refers to it often. In Luke, Jesus says, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. In Matthew, he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who have found their life will lose it. And whoever has lost their life for my sake will find it. Jesus again and again warns his followers to expect suffering and persecution. The slave is not greater than his master, he says. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. And Jesus also tells us that we hate those that persecute us. You have heard it, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for 
those who persecute you. Well, quite frankly, none of this is particularly good news. The good news comes with the simple statement from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. He said, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Or as some translations put it, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Not, I will overcome the world sometime in the future. Not, maybe we can overcome the world together if we all work hard enough. Not, over to you to finish the job I started when I was with you. None of this is the good news. The good news is that everything is already accomplished. We are already saved, already forgiven, already justified, already sanctified. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Jesus' attack on darkness is not merely a declaration of war. It is at the same time his decisive stroke in that war. As the wonderful Easter hymn proclaims, the strife is over, the battle done. Now is the victor's triumph won. Oh, let the song of praise be sung. Hallelujah. The battle is over, and Jesus is the victor. It was for this that he came among us. The old way is gone forever. The new way has already begun. The history of conflict between light and darkness is not, as we so often suppose, the attack of darkness on light, but precisely the reverse. The history of conflict between light and darkness is about the attack of light on darkness. Jesus is the aggressor. In this attack, Jesus shows his faithfulness to us. He will not let us go. He will not let our own weakness and stupidity have the last word. He will not let us fall into the abyss. He attacks the darkness by the simple statement of the truth. That, Christ Jesus, that in Christ Jesus, God has loved the world and reconciled it to himself. That in Christ Jesus, God has established and introduced his kingdom within the world. In Jesus Christ, we are loved, forgiven, redeemed, restored, saved, delivered. Jesus does not debate this declaration, but simply asserts it. He does not ask our permission to do what he does. He simply does it. On what grounds could we possibly have anything of value to say about this? Christ Jesus simply shows us that all things are as they are and as he says they are. As one theologian put it, this attack is that of the love of the Father and the Son. It is the attack of the grace of God. It is the attack of his affirmation of the world, of his generous self-giving to it, of his intervention for its salvation, of his pledging and guaranteeing of his life. Incredibly, unbelievably, impossibly, there is something in us, Christian and non-Christian alike, it resists all this. How can there be any resisting of the word and the love and the act of God? What could even want to resist the God who only desires
desires the best for us and has determined at the cost of his own life to secure that best and already has secured it. But there is, and we do it. This resisting element in humankind is something that think it knows all about us and all about our future possibilities. It thus resists any other information concerning either who we are or what our real future is like. If the attack of light on darkness is really the attack of grace, then the resisting element in all of us that is challenged by the word of God resists the grace of God. What could want that? Our theologian tells us it is that which has no use for liberation of humanity that is holy and utterly the work of God, nor for freedom which is owed wholly and utterly to God, and in which it has to live in fellowship with God's own freedom and can thus be free only in obedience to them. It resists the cycle in which there can only be the giving of God on the one side and on the other the receiving and therefore the thankfulness of humanity. It hates this giver, this giving, and this being given. It hates grace and gratitude. This resisting element in human beings, that in all of us which opposes the word of God, makes us the battlefield within which and on which the darkness resists with all its power the light by which it is attacked. Our theologian puts it this way. Humankind is dark and in darkness, and darkness is in us. It is true that we love darkness more than light, but we are not darkness itself. The Word of God speaks of the grace toward all of humankind, but God has no grace at all for darkness. He has not reconciled darkness to himself, not made any covenant with it. He attacks it in his Word, not to spare and preserve, but to destroy. He doesn't attack humanity, he attacks the darkness that envelops and indwells us for our sake, for our good, for our salvation. Humankind is God's creature to whom he has sworn faithfulness and with whom he keeps faith in the attack against darkness mounted in his word. So, what certainty do we have that all this is true? What certainty do you have that Christ is, uh, has the follow of How do we know that Jesus is the victor? Because he tells us so. You know, we have the unfortunate habit in the church sometimes of talking about God as though we're talking about some sort of ab something abstract, like a principle, or maybe a force of nature, as though there is something necessary and inevitable in what God does. But there isn't. God does not owe us salvation and eternal life. God is under no obligation to help us in our darkness or save us from our sins. And we certainly don't merit his loving kindness and mercy. God is the one who loves in freedom and acts purely out of his own faithfulness towards us. He remains faithful to us, regardless of whether or not we remain faithful to him. 
We're not saved by faith or by grace. We're saved by God. By his totally free, loving, and undeserved action on our behalf in Jesus Christ our Lord. Resurrection does not follow crucifixion like spring follows winter. There is no natural inevitability here. We must never separate the gift from the giver. In all these things, we are dealing with the free and loving action of God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who created us, his Son, Christ Jesus, who reconciles us, and the Holy Spirit who redeems us. And in Christ Jesus, our theologian says, it is manifested and therefore noble for all that he and not the resisting element in us may finally conquer. As the living one, the risen from the dead, he is not only victor at the beginning, but will be victor at the end. To know him as the living one, the risen from the dead is to receive and to have at once, from the very outset, basic, direct, and unconditional certainty of the final victory which is still awaiting, but which comes relentlessly and irresistibly. This certainty of his final triumph includes the lesser certainty that he cannot experience any reverses, halts, or retreats on the way to his goal. As the hymn that I quoted earlier said, Death's mightiest powers have done their worst, and Jesus has his foes dispersed. Let shouts of praise and joy outburst. Hallelujah. Hallelujah indeed. <laughs>